Good morning, Seacoast Church. How's everyone doing today? Today we kick off a brand new series on the life of Joseph from trials to triumph. My name is Joel Delph, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Seacoast. Oh, I am so glad that you came to church today here at Mount Pleasant at one of our campuses. Shout out, Pastor Roy. Hope you're doing good. I believe you look good today, Pastor Roy. Online, those who are tuning in, you may be sick. Um, uh, Pastor Adam Martin said he's tuning in from the Carolina Park campus, i.e. his house because he's a little sick this morning. And for our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are locked up physically at correctional facilities across the country, but God is setting them free through the Spirit of God. We believe that His Word will continue to change your heart and our hearts wherever we're tuning in today. I am pumped for today's sermon. Uh, every time I've been practicing it all week, it's taken me an hour to do this sermon. So the big miracle we're going to be praying for is that in 30 minutes, uh, you're going to be with your hands in worship, and the worship team takes over. So that's the prayer you need to pray. In fact, let's all take a moment to pray together. Could you stand today? Could you stand and let's pray? Grab the hand of the person next to you. Meet a stranger. Meet a stranger. Um, trying to help some of y'all who are single this past Valentine's Day. You know? If you're single, just hold a little tighter. You know, just, just show them something. Let's take a moment to pray. Uh, Father, I thank you that when I look across our campus and when we look at our campuses at all our locations, uh, rich and poor, black and white, male and female, got it all together. This week broke everything down. Like we're all united around one thing, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that there is no judgment in this room. We thank you, Lord God, that there's no hierarchy in this room because at the foot of the cross is a level playing field. We thank you, Lord God, for the gift of your word. And every single time we open it, we find out that you're more loving than we understand, more kind, more patient. You call us out on our stuff and you don't hold back because you're not doing it to condemn us, but to lead us into greater life. And we pray, Lord God, today that your spirit will flow through all of us and change our hearts to action. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. say it again. Amen. Shout it from the back. Amen. Yeah, I see you in the back. You guys can have a seat today. Today we get to study through the life of Joseph, and Joseph's life is contained in Genesis chapter 37 all the way through Genesis chapter 50. We see more about Joseph's life than Adam and Eve. We see more about Joseph's life than Noah and all them animals in that big boat. Like there's so much locked up in the story of Joseph that I believe will help you understand your family history, the stuff you're proud of and the stuff you don't tell anybody about. I think that the story of Joseph will help you understand the favor of God alive and active in your life. And I believe that the story of Joseph will help you understand how God will use trials to ultimately bring, bring triumph, not just for your life, but for his glory. We just wrapped up a series last weekend called Battlegrounds. 
Did you guys love that series, Battlegrounds? Was that helpful? And we can sum up that series in one simple sentence. That was the last point of Pastor Josh's sermon last weekend. And he said, may every battleground in your life be a place of blessing. And I thought that was so great to sum up that series and tie it in a bow. And that's my prayer for you, that every battleground you're facing right now will one day be known as a place of blessing. I think we've got a picture of my in-laws that if you could find that and pull that up. Uh, this is my in-laws a few weeks ago, uh, right before a service. They were in town. They live in Nashville, Tennessee. And my in-laws are amazing. Maybe when your in-laws come to town, you pray like prayers of like, God, I hope they survive this time. Like, I'm not lying. When my in-laws come in, I say, yippee, they're here. They're amazing. And they've been amazing since day one. And uh, I'll tell you why they're amazing. So if, you're an, if you are an in-law, like a mother-in-law or father-in-law, wave at me. This is free. This is an in-law tutorial. This is why my in-laws are amazing. Write some notes right now. This is for you. You can leave after this sermon. So we're just going to talk about in-laws. This is your tutorial, in-law training one-on-one. They come to our house and they serve. They clean stuff up. They're kind. They're caring. They stay out of our business. They don't give us uninvited advice. And when they give us advice, it's hopeful. It's not judgmental. It's not like saving up 10 years of stuff. They're amazing. But I remember the first time I met them. I just started dating this girl. Kelly is my wife now. And at some point, I had to answer this question. Who are you from? Who are you from? Because when you fall in love, you realize that there's more to this person than just them. There's a family that they come from that you probably need to get to know just a little bit to see if you should run to the altar or run to them hills. Come on, somebody. So we drive out to Arkansas from Hilton Island, 13-hour drive. We talk about all sorts of things. It was really great and sweet. And as we're driving up, we're in the middle of Arkansas. It's the middle of the night. I realize I'm in the middle of nowhere in Arkansas. I'm black. She's white. I don't know what her parents are like. And I asked her, did you tell your parents that I'm black? Because I don't need them at 11 o'clock at night finding out, guess who you brought home for dinner? So... They were great. They were nice. And I remember the first time I met Kelly's uh, grandmother, um, about five feet tall. And I was like, if racism lives in this family, it always lives in the old one. So I'm waiting for it. <laughs> it's true. Um, uh, and so I remember she came out of the room. She's maybe four foot 11. And she had this big smile when she saw me. And she was from New Zealand. And she goes, Welcome to the family. Big old hug. Just give me a big old hug. And then it was Christmas time, and she gave me 50 bucks. <laughs> so I knew she loved me, and I was blessed. So when we study through the life of Joseph, we're answering the question, who are you from? We're answering the question, who are you from? To understand our walk in Jesus we have to tether ourselves with our history of faith. 
with our spiritual lineage of where we come from. And so that's why the story of Joseph matters in 2024. A friend of mine right now is reading through the book of Genesis, and every few days I get a text. Hey, I'm reading this for the first time. These daughters did what with their dad? Hey, I'm reading. This happened. Is God okay with this? I'm like, hey, bro, keep reading. Keep reading. Keep reading. Because when we understand the history of faith, we understand that God, he never fails at his promises, even when we're messed up, even when we have shortcomings, even when we have bad detours, situationships, kind of, sort of. God is long-suffering. He understands how to love humanity. And when we read through the book of Genesis, we see that. We see that. Because if we were God, we would have, We'd have stopped the whole thing at the flood. But God still has a plan in the midst of hard circumstances. And studying through the life of Joseph will help you understand that. Rabbit trail. Christians should be the least prudish, most grace-filled people because they understand where they come from. But if you don't know your history, every time you see a sin that you don't struggle with pop up, you go, (gasps) it'll drop your jaws. And so studying the word of God helps us be rooted into our history. So Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. Let's give careful attention to the reading of God's holy word. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. So Jacob is the father of Joseph He is also known as Israel. So you'll see that in these scriptures. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. That's complicated. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Uh, Joseph came from a blended family. If you're new in church and you're kind of like Christians are judgmental because They have this weird preconceived notion of nuclear family and everything's tight and pretty. Like when you read through the word of God, there's tons of blended families in the word of God. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other brothers, any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Who's your family favorite? Got one? Whenever parents show me a picture of their kids, I say, all right, point out the favorite. Most of the time, people like look at me kind of shocked. This week, I asked the lady that. She goes, oh, this one right here is my favorite. (laughs) Um, We kicked her out of the church, just so you know. Uh, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. Um, They had a family business that was really successful. All these brothers were wealthy, wealthy family, and he's talking about sheaves of grain. They're working. So he's like, hey, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, When suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. So his daddy loved him more than everyone else. 
And to put a cherry on the cake, he like, he like gave him a cool jacket to signify his love. And then all of a sudden, he's waking up telling people of his dream that he had that came from God. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So they didn't just hate him because of the dream, but they hated him because of the way he said it. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. This guy needs some friends. <laughs> if he had a small group, like his life would have been pleasant. Join a small group today. Ding. <laughs> then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Sun, dad, moon, mom. He was one of 12, 11 stars that were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, he told them again, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father, Jacob, but his father, otherwise known as Israel, kept the matter in mind. To understand the life of Joseph, you, you really need to understand the life of Jacob. And so today, as we dive into the life of Joseph, there's four things that I believe will help you understand the favor of God at work in your life, dreams that he's placed in your world that we can learn from Joseph's life. So first one is this. Favor comes through your family line. Favor comes through your family line. All of us in this room are part of two families. One, the family of faith. And so to understand Joseph's life helps you understand the lineage of where you come from. But I also believe in a physical sense, there is favor that has been flowing in your family line generationally that you have to understand. In every single family, there are things that make you blessed and there are things that make you broken and your understanding of what to stand on and then what to dig out of will help you understand how to walk in the favor of God. So to understand the life of Joseph, let's take a moment to talk about Jacob. Jacob had a twin brother, and his twin brother's name was Esau. Esau was a man's man. He would have driven an F-250 pickup truck, lifted, because, you know, it's not just big enough. you got to get more ego on it. I see you guys out in that parking lot. Pray for you. And Esau was a man of the field. He was out hunting all the time. But Jacob, on the other hand, Joseph's dad, he stayed near the house. He stayed near the house. His dad, Isaac, and his mother, Rebecca, they played favorites. Rebecca's favorite was Jacob, and Isaac's favorite was Esau. And when Rebecca was pregnant, with these two boys, 
The Lord came to her and said this in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So God let them know from the moment she was born that there was going to be strife. And from the moment they were born, they fought for everything. Jacob wanted nothing more than all the blessings of God. He hustled his brother out of his birthright for a bowl of beans. He did that because he valued his birthright more than Esau did. And Esau thought, man, that's something I can lose any day. So he hustles his, his brother out of a birthright. Then as his father is dying, he gets the prayer of blessing from his father. And listen to this prayer. This is in Genesis 27, verse 9. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Bow down. Bow down. So Jacob, when he stole this prayer of blessing, his father said that peoples bow down to you. And then his son at the age of 17 starts getting these dreams from God about everyone bowing down to him. It's crazy. It's crazy. So Jacob wanted the blessings of God more than anything in his life. Jacob's the only guy we see in scripture when he sees an angel. The angel doesn't have to say, do not fear. He's the only guy we see in scripture that he wrestles with the angel and wouldn't let go of him until he receives a blessing. He wouldn't even let fear hold him back from a blessing that came from God. So we see Jacob as this man who wanted nothing more about the blessing of God in his life. But when God starts speaking to his son, he keeps it all in mind. Go back to Genesis 37, verse 11. It says, he kept it all in mind. And so for parents in the house, I want to let you know this. Your kids need you to share your unfiltered history of what God has done for you in your life. Because if they don't hear all the stories, they are bound to repeat the same problems time and time and time and time and time again. And so... Growing up, that was something my parents, my dad taught me all the time. Hey, man, just so you know, to be a Delph man before Jesus was to be a drunk man. And so for us and the family, other people can have a glass of wine with dinner, but you take one sip, it's going to send you back. And this is what my grandfather, this is what your father, my, this is what my father was like before he met Christ. And he told me that story over and over and over again. And it wasn't a scary thing. It was actually a gift because it helped me avoid a pitfall that we've been falling into as Delph men for generations. I got a lot of problems, but drinking ain't one of them. And if, and if I told you my problems, you'd probably tell me, hey, you probably need to take a little drink just to calm down. <laughs> um, uh, conversely, my dad kept one of the biggest struggles he had in his life from me. And he ended up having to tell me at the age of 31. I'm not going to tell you. 
what it is. But without him telling me his struggle, and when he had to tell me, his struggle that he had been hiding from me was my biggest fear in my life that I didn't even know why I was afraid of it. And so there was, a, there was a fear about this thing that was locked up in my dad's biggest mistake, and he thought that he was saving me by never telling me. Please tell your children the pitfalls. Because this family, these 12 sons, were so dysfunctional because they didn't understand the pitfalls of the generation that went before them. Second thing, favor often causes friction. Favor often causes friction. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had, had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, he shouldn't have played favorites, but it says that he loved him more. It didn't say that he loved him and didn't love them. Also, they were all wealthy kids, a part of a wealthy family, that God's hand of favor was on all 12 of them, and he would later use them to be the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel come from these 12 brothers who were fighting in the field. And so they're fighting over an ornate robe and what they think is more and they haven't even understood the favor that's already in their life. When we compare ourselves to others, we can't even see the favor that's in our own hands. Favor often causes friction. When others have it, we can see them as competition because we believe that the favor of God is a finite thing. So February 14th, Singles Awareness Day happens, and you see everyone on Instagram talking about their boo thing and their love that's undying, and you just get so nauseated and discouraged if you're single because you're like, it's never going to happen to me. But what if you stop seeing the blessings of God in someone else's life as an indicator that you're not blessed, but got actually encouraged by the fact like, if all these people in love... It's only a matter of time before God brings it to me. But favor often causes friction when we see it in others. But then when it happens to us, when we have favor, we can oftentimes like become self-centered. See, Joseph, he couldn't wait to tell everyone the dreams in his life. He couldn't wait to throw on his ornate robe and run up to his brothers and say, hey, guess what happened to me today? Because he saw himself at the center of his dreams. Here's the third point. Dreams often turn to nightmares with you at the center. Dreams often turn to nightmares with you at the center. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. This is Genesis 37. Listen, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Like, he couldn't wait to tell everyone his dream because he saw himself at the center of it. What if the dreams 
God has placed in your life and the favor he's given you in your world isn't for you to be at the center of it all, but for you to be a servant of those dreams. In a few weeks, we have Serve Day coming up, and this is a practical opportunity for all of us to turn from being the center of our world to a servant of the world God has placed us in. Love for you to check out this video. Two years ago, our daughter had a choking incident here at the house. We called 911 and I witnessed the firemen running down the driveway. I mean, they looked like they had angel wings. Their feet weren't touching the ground. They were moving so fast. We were really just wanting to thank them. Thank them for, for being here for our family, for being here for our community. Um, we're gonna go cook hamburgers and hot dogs. Um, little, did, little did we know. quickly realized that, that God had put us there on that day, at that time, to help them through that morning. It was a really tough day as it, it's brought up a lot of emotions this week. I didn't realize that Serve Day was going to be such a big hit and so needed as it was on the very first day they came to us. You can't walk into a fire station and preach John 3.16. You have to live John 3.16. And Seacoast did that. When you put yourself out there and you go and serve, um, you just don't know. You don't know what it's going to result in. You don't know who you're going to encounter, what the encounter's going to lead to. Whatever fear, anxiety, or doubt you're having, that's not, that's not him. You know, he's not, he's not telling you that you can't do these things, so, so don't listen to those voices. Don't be intimidated. Uh, step outside your comfort zone, because um, you know, whenever you, you feel nervous or you feel apprehensive, God's getting ready to do something huge in your life. And every time I, I doubt that or think that, I just take a moment of breath and wait, because he's getting ready to knock your shoes off. I think, naturally, God gives people the heart to help other people. Like we are designed that way to, to be in community and to want to help people take that step. I am so grateful for that as a church, even a church of our size, that we are able to, you know, empower people to listen to God and go and do. I love how this family, out of understanding how they've been blessed by the firefighters, said, hey, the least we can do is go cook hamburgers and hot dogs. And when they walked in, they ended up being the pastors of that fire station because of the call they had just come back from. When we get out of the center of our story and start serving others, there's a fulfillment that comes that actually outlasts us generationally. Last point. We fulfill our dreams when we become a servant of them. When we see the trials of Joseph's life hit him, God actually allows a pruning process to be activated in his life. 
And we see him in prison as a grown man. And two men have a crazy dream. And listen to what he says when he hears about their dreams. We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. In Joseph's life, the trials that came his way helped him understand that he wasn't at the center of his dreams, but he was a servant of them. And as he chose to see the world around him as a life of service, God kept elevating him to the point that he was the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And he led Egypt through 14 years of prosperity, famine, and on the other side, they were a more powerful nation than they ever had been. When he started serving those around him, instead of telling everyone about his dreams, that is when God began to use him even more. Check this out, though. In Matthew chapter 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus. And these 12 boys become a part of leading the 12 tribes that we now would say are part of Israel. And when we look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, it says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph. Wait, no. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. God elevated Joseph in his generation so he could be a servant of his brother Judah from which a lion would come out of. And maybe, just maybe, God is placing dreams in your life so you can be a conduit of the blessings of God in generations that are to come, this is what we can learn through the life of Joseph. I want to encourage you through this series to take some time to read through Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis 50. See the twists and turns of what Joseph endured. And maybe it'll encourage your life to know that God is still on the throne and he can still work in your life in the middle of good times, bad times, twists and turns that you never thought possible. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your word. And I thank you, Lord, that it gives us light. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your promises never fail. I pray for everyone who's in the middle of hard times would you be near the brokenhearted? Bless us today. May your word never return void. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.